Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, where we'll be discussing violence in Lord of the Rings. Before we get to Lord of the Rings, are you a very violent person? (laughs) I am not, currently. (laughs) I was as a child. I had some very violent moments Mm. of my childhood, some of which I can remember. Luckily, didn't leave permanent scars on people, but... Part of it, I think, came from I was the youngest. I had two older sisters, and, you know, they're six and four years older than me. And, yeah, I was very frustrated and angry that there was a lot of things I couldn't do. Like, I could never beat them in anything except Mm -hmm. use, like, physical force. They knew more than me. They could do everything better. You know, they were older. And so, yeah, I would use some of that physical force sometimes. And yeah, I would hurt people. (laughs) And then laugh about it, apparently. No, I'm laughing now because it's very not me now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even when I was like in high school, I kind of, I wasn't violent then, but enjoyed violent movies and things like that i don't know there was something about weapons and stuff that i found interesting for (laughs) some reason or other and now i'm like a pacifist so i'm very not violent (laughs) so yeah it's it's weird it's weird to think about because it's something that's so far removed from myself now to remember it was like oh yeah i used to be like that uh, yeah, it's it's uh, strange. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, similarly, I definitely grew up with violence as a, a constant, you know, with uh, video games and movies and, and all that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and similarly, as a younger brother, I misused violence uh, against my older brother for sure. And I wouldn't necessarily call myself a pacifist because I don't know if I have a, a, such a hard line on never using violence, but Mm. I definitely today will have very different interactions with violent video games or violent movies and things like that where, uh, yeah, it's not really entertaining the way it used to be. And sometimes like it literally just turned me off a game or something where it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is, this is just too much, Uh, particularly if it's, you know, human on human violence. Um, Oftentimes games can be more fantastic, so uh, it kind of lessens the idea of it. But even then, I I start to critique that a little bit more. And I think that's actually an interesting way. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was going to say against aliens, but oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's also been something that's come up in our conversations about Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. we see these wars with orcs that lack so much uh, humanity as represented. But what does that mean in a a world like that? I I just think that that those are interesting questions to to discuss. And uh, I don't, I don't always have those answers. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, not to get super philosophical, but like that, that is the thing. There's so much justification of violence when it's towards others Mm -hmm. and a lot of people will say well not towards humans unless they're doing something to you or we're at war or whatever justification they want to give but you know violence towards animals or violence you know certain violence towards animals like Mm -hmm. if it's livestock but not if it's your pet you know there's all of these arbitrary lines uh drawn and and then obviously there's violence done 
between humans mm-hmm. that I think so often it is really because you think that they are other, because you think that they are less than, whether it's violence against women or violence against certain races, you know. And so, yeah, that's yeah, problematic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we talk about that within Lord of the Rings? <laughs> okay. So we have a quote today from The Two Towers, uh, Book 3, Chapter 10, The Voice of Saruman. When Gandalf is trying to convince Saruman to surrender and to come down from Orthanc. The treacherous are ever distrustful, answered Gandalf wearily. But you need not fear for your skin. I do not wish to kill you or hurt you, as you would know if you really understood me. And I have the power to protect you. I am giving you a last chance. You can leave Orthanc free if you choose. Yeah. Which is good. Good job, Gandalf. Well, it's, yeah, it's it's interesting because in this situation, he doesn't want to harm Saruman. You know, he does want to talk. He does want to use the the tool that Saruman, in fact, is is best at using in discussing with him. But Saruman so so fears the, the possible violent ends there that he, he can't really accept it. And maybe I should take back my good job, Gandalf, just because it's like, why is he extending it to him? Is it because he's had a relationship with him in the past? Is it because he is a Maiar just like Gandalf is, you know? Is it because, oh, you are like me? Or would he extend this to others? It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, he does extend it to some, but he's also picky and choosy with who he (laughs) <laughs> gives uh, mercy too. Yeah, that's so true. Well, should we move on? Sounds good. What character did you bring to our discussion today? So I decided to bring a character I do not much like, but is kind of surrounded by violence. So I want to talk about Denethor. Hmm. We see definitely there's some verbal psychological abuse that goes Mm. on uh, between how he treats Boromir versus how he treats Faramir, right? Mm. And abuse, I would argue, is a type of violence. And so there's already that. And then he just progressively gets worse and worse, (laughs) where once violence is done to Boromir to the point where he dies, in the movie version, it seems like this is kind of a breaking point for Denethor. Mm. And he becomes even more unreasonably violent, like wanting Faramir to participate even more so in these violent acts mm. of war, even when they don't even make any logical sense. In which case, I don't know if he actually wanted violence to happen to Faramir because Faramir survived and Boromir didn't Mm -hmm. or whether it was just him being completely irrational but in the book version it's Mm -hmm. a little different because we know that he has interacted with the Palantir or Palantir which Mm -hmm. one is it I say Palantir so if you don't remember what that is that's the little orb that Saruman can communicate through and which is what how Saruman kind of got mixed up with Sauron Mm -hmm. from the beginning. So through that, it almost begs the question of like, was there violence done through that kind of psychological violence? In which case is the violence that was done to him 
kind of perpetuates this cycle of violence, like going outward and outward and outward to mm-hmm. the point where it goes into his his immediate family, right? But then it goes outward from there to the soldiers in the army who he's still commanding to go to these places where they're just getting slaughtered. And then after violence is done to Faramir because of those actions, mm-hmm. he is totally okay burning Faramir alive. And then ultimately does violence to himself as well killing himself so he has it all surrounding him yeah that's so true it's interesting because you know he he mentions how while the other peoples of middle earth have been in relative safety he has been fighting the, mm-hmm. the the forces of mordor and how he almost defines the strength of gondor based off of that violent action. And so the loss of Osgiliath is in and of itself a unacceptable fact because it is a violent loss. And it shows that, yeah, as he is breaking down, he is unable to accept any kind of violent loss other than that which he himself causes. Mm, hmm hmm Yeah, that's a really good point that he is so angry and embittered because his people are facing so much violence Mm -hmm. while others don't and you know they're they're not situated in the same position and they're not helping even though he's losing people that he cares about yeah yeah absolutely but he continues the cycle of violence which is not good Mm -hmm. yeah that's true oh denethor Oh, Denethor. More like Denipore. Because <laughs> he makes poor decisions. Yes. Good. Good one, Chris. <laughs> well, for my plot, I thought I would talk a little bit about Frodo being stabbed on a weather top. Okay, okay. Because for the Hobbits, this is the first situation of violence that they really experience. Mm. Beforehand, they flee the ring wraiths, which makes sense. That's a good choice. Yeah, yeah, probably not a good idea to hang out with the, the, the ring wraiths. Uh, and they also are trapped by Old Man Willow. But even that, I think, is so they much more of a... They just went to sleep. Yeah. It was, yeah. And it's so much more fantastic, you know? Mm-hmm. They're being swallowed by a tree. They're not being attacked by something. Mm-hmm. And I think that... That's a really interesting scene to read through an experience of violence because the ring race themselves are shrouded so that they have they're featureless essentially. They are defined themselves just by the violence that they inflict mm-hmm. within that scene. And then later on we find that they themselves are men who have been damaged through their their warring and through their greed with the rings. Mm-hmm. And that they, their lust for power, which certainly was gotten through violent ends, has turned them into wraiths. And I think that for Frodo, having the first injury that he gets be the one that lasts the longest mm. is very interesting because he is pierced with the Morgul blade and he never stops hurting from that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that, in a way, represents him leaving the Shire and entering a world of violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They mention in the books, and they don't really go into this in the movies, but that the Dunedain 
are patrolling the Shire and the West as a whole. And they are doing this to keep out things like the Nazgul and, and other threats. And that the relative safety and peace of the Shire has been maintained despite their own knowledge. Someone has been fighting for them. And now Frodo is exiting a world of privilege and of security that was provided through no actual work by the hobbits, but instead was given to them. And now he's going into a world where he has to fight. Mm -hmm. And that comes with injury. And that comes with injury that sometimes is forever and occasionally, you know, will be death. And so I just think that that's a really interesting scene because I think it's a turning point Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. the series. I think that before that, you have so much that is more carefree, more fantastic. But there we really start to see, yeah, how, how this kind of violence will affect these characters and how they are exiting the world of the Shire and entering into a world, a grander world that, that has violent acts in it. And now that you're talking about that, it, it's also, I think, really interesting conceptually that they stab him with this blade, but it's not to kill him, it's to make him violent like themselves Mm. just thinking about cyclical violence is just interesting and like maybe this is too big of a stretch but just where my mind automatically goes with this is like thinking about class violence Mm. you know and like institutional violence because you were talking about they're like cloaked and featureless almost it's 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 not as easy to pinpoint what exactly it is Mm -hmm. right and and they use that to their advantage and then like I'm thinking of the wealthy and violence against the poor and you either kill people who can oppose you or you see if you can turn them into what you are, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be your ally in this violence against others. Or so, a tool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> now I'm just going to see like the Nazgul class war. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, the Nazgul as uh, the bourgeoisie. (laughs) The 1%. (laughs) Well, I guess we should go on to our compelling questions. Yeah, mine kind of jumps off of yours a little bit. Let's bring it. So, mine is, besides what you obviously mentioned, where do you see the effects of violence contribute to character development in Lord of the Rings? Hmm. Interesting. Particularly when it comes to violence, most of our characters have been raised and living in violence for most of their lives, right? Our warrior characters, Aragorn, Gimli, Gandalf, Legolas, they, Boromir, they have experienced violence for a very, very long time before the movie starts or the books begin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the hobbits have not. Yep. And so I've mentioned kind of how Frodo is affected by that attack. But I also think that Merry and Pippin have an interesting arc there too, because they both become soldiers. They both swear fealty in a war between those who physically and experientially outclass them. And Merry talks about how he does this because he doesn't want to be left behind. He doesn't want to be the person who, when they're singing songs about this, he's not included. And I think that that shows that 
for him, violence has become normalized in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's not just something that you would run away from the way they do at the beginning of the, the books, where they run from the Nazgul. But ultimately, Mary helps defeat a Nazgul mm-hmm. because he's not running from that violence. And that also marks him. That also injures him in his arm when he does that. And I think that for Mary and Pippin both, they have to experience some really traumatic events when they choose to enter into this violent world by swearing that fealty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What were you thinking? Yeah, I was also thinking so much about the hobbits because, yeah, they're the ones who have been almost sheltered in a way mm-hmm. from from everything that's going on around the rest of Middle-earth. So, yeah, I think it's also interesting that Mary in The Scouring of the Shire, which is not in the movies, mm-hmm. but is, is in the books and is a really great reason to read the books or at least the end of the last book because <laughs> it is such a good and important part. Not the appendices end. Yeah, no, not that. Not, not the appendices. <laughs> There's a lot of ends to Lord of the Rings. That's true. <laughs> but uh, he does kind of step up and mm. take this almost military general type of role in, in fighting for the, the freedom of the Shire and at the same time that's juxtaposed to to Frodo who isn't for it and ultimately chooses different things and when you know if you if you haven't read it I I won't completely give it away but somebody who was kind of in charge of the whole situation that's now oppressing Hobbes in the Shire when Frodo faces him, he decides to choose nonviolence and he decides to not kill this person or have this person be killed or even jailed or anything. He decides to show mercy. And I think that that's so important. And I think that is something that has grown from Frodo's experience of all of the violence and war and bloodshed and loss of friends and loss of parts of himself through the process uh, and the violence that has been inflicted on him by the ring, right? Mm. And and because of that, he refuses to perpetuate more violence. And I think, I don't know if he would have done the same thing at the beginning of the book before mm-hmm. he ever went. So I do love that part. And again, <laughs> pacifist i'm like yes <laughs> yay frodo you're my favorite <laughs> because there's no reason like there's no logical reason for him to show that mercy but he does because it's the right thing to do and even if it will put him in harm's way and so i loved that and i also wondered about Treebeard. Hmm. And the violence that is done to the forest and the violence that is done to some of his friends and relations in the forest, as well as the forest just in general, that's what kind of jolts him into action. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, he was much more okay just being an end. <laughs> that means, you know, we don't necessarily get mixed up in these wars that humans and and other other races are fighting but then he yeah does decide to 
change his his mind on that and destroy all of the basically the factory for creating weapons of war Mm -hmm. and again he he didn't do that until he saw the effects of the violence yeah yeah that's so true but what about you what's your compelling question my question is how do you see different forms of violence contrasted in lord of the rings contrasted can you elaborate yeah so do you see or how do you see either different methods of violence or different perpetrators and victims of violence being seen or displayed or represented differently within Lord of the Rings? Hmm. Well, I would definitely say that I think that the violence inflicted on kind of how we've talked about in the past, like on orcs, on certain beings in Middle-earth by the protagonists is seen as okay and Mm -hmm. justifiable and maybe even like good or, you know, not wrong in any way. Whereas the violence inflicted by the antagonists is not seen as acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I would say... Also, we see, I don't know, it's, it's kind of interesting. I kind of almost wonder um, some of the difference between the protagonist side and the antagonist side would be that sometimes the protagonists do show that mercy and, mm-hmm. and they're not always just like kill everyone, which is so much more on the antagonist side mm-hmm. of it. Even, even Saruman... What is the purpose of killing everybody in the fellowship? You know, like, just get Frodo and kill everyone else. Like, is that really necessary? If you're going to get the ring, you're going to get the ring and you're going to ultimately have a bunch of power anyway, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, sure, like, oh, we don't want Aragorn to be king and, and, and such. But yeah, sometimes it even just going through different places of of Rohan and go through the village and kill everyone. Mm. doesn't matter who they are. And you don't see quite the same on the protagonist side, except when it comes to orcs, then it's like kill everyone and it doesn't matter. Mm. So yeah, I guess there's sometimes differences there. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. I think sometimes I almost see some of the violence like going more hand in hand than being contrasted. So, yeah, again, it's like there's violence done to the trees and the forest and the earth to, like, make weapons of war to cause more violence to other beings. And it just, like, keeps going. And so, uh, which we obviously see in, in our society as well. Yeah. What were you thinking? A lot of similar thoughts. But I was also thinking about how... You know, we see the kinds of violent acts they're doing so differently as well, where for the most part, the actions of the protagonists are defensive. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, and Helm's Deep is the best example of this. And it's not until they go to the Black Gate that they move into a territory that's not theirs. And they attack, really, and that itself is a diversion. (laughs) <laughs> so I think that's interesting, but I also think that it's interesting because because the the armies of Mordor are the conquerors, we see the things that they do in a really terrible light, like, you know, 
killing women and children and non-combatants and raising villages and all these other kinds of things that have been a part of warfare forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that warfare is not only about the violence done between soldiers, but also the violence done to women in particular and to all these other groups within society. Absolutely, yeah. And because the protagonists are on the defense for most of it, we don't see any of that. But what we do see is we do see the difference in the value. And we've talked about this in the past. The difference in the value between the humans and the orcs that they're fighting. Because some of the armies of Mordor are men or Mm -hmm. uh, are humans. And these are the only times when you see any kind of nuanced perception of how to treat your enemy. You see it with Saruman. You see it with the men who attack Helm's Deep. You see it with many of the, the, like, hill men who attack Rohan. You see it where, in the movie, it's Faramir, but I think in the book, Sam talks about, I think, a a man from Herod. I wonder what his passions are. I wonder Mm -hmm. if we could be friends if this this wasn't there. Never anything like that about orcs, right? Absolutely. Uh, And in fact, the best example is Legolas and Gimli's competition, right mm-hmm. uh, a piece of of fun and humor about violence well and that's the thing right it's maybe we'll show mercy to people who look more similar to us mm-hmm. but if they don't we show no mercy and we don't even feel bad about it mm-hmm. yeah and so it's just interesting to see those different kind of ideas of representations of violence and, and how they, they differ from each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, well, what about your missed opportunity on violence in Lord of the Rings? Yeah, so my missed opportunity is that even though I enjoy the movies a lot, there are a few things that really annoy me that they changed from mm-hmm. the books. But a lot of it I really enjoy and i've watched the movie so many times even though i've only read the books like twice (laughs) Mm -hmm. yet here on the idea of violence is one area where i think the movies do not do a good job because there are a lot of aspects of nonviolence in the books again as you were just saying problematic on who Mm -hmm. it's or who it's offered to and who it's not but the movies don't really show that at all The only time I can think of is when Aragorn kind of steps in and is like, yeah, you don't have to kill Grima. Mm -hmm. And that's really it that I can think of. And it is so much more a part of the books. And it actually kind of leads to an email we had gotten a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, oh, well, we'll save this until we get to violence in Lord of the Rings. Well... We finally got to it. Yeah. (laughs) And so this is a message that came in from Kimberly. So she was saying, I wish there had been more examples where nonviolent approaches were prioritized, strategized, and taken first before war and bloodshed. How many lives might have been saved had the council tried to negotiate or counter the leadership of their enemies by offering something different to those whom they led? As I've been reading through the books, I've found some examples where specific characters choose nonviolence. 
offering them compassion, forgiveness, or a choice. And she gave some examples that she had been reading about Gandalf and Frodo and even referencing what Bilbo did, right? Mm -hmm. Like towards Gollum and a character, Urkebrand, shows compassion to the humans that fought at Helm's Deep and like allowed them to help repair. And then after that, they said, hey, you can be free and just don't do this again. And all the way to the end with Frodo and and the scouring of the Shire. So there were examples of it in the books, but we didn't really get to see that in the movies. And, and I really wish we did because otherwise, in some ways, it's just this war epic and it doesn't give voice to nonviolent solutions and nonviolent intentions and nonviolent action. Uh, which is really important and I mean it's important regardless but I think it's also really important especially when you aren't seeing depicted the negative impacts of violence on not only people who have the violence done to them not only on the people who are loved ones of those who have experienced violence but also the effects that it has on the people doing the violence Mm. and so since we don't see any of that either it yeah it just kind of promotes violence if it's so-called justified yeah that's so true i think that one of the big draws of in particular the two towers and return of the king movies was that they were hosting these huge battle scenes right and they were using Mm -hmm. these new technologies to host these giant battle scenes and i think the return of the king one was like 50 something minutes long of just battle Mm. of minas tirith and does it look cool Yes, it does, but... But honestly, at this point, that's the time when I want most to fast forward or skip ahead mm. when I watch nowadays because... Let's get back to Frodo and Sam. Yeah, like there's so <laughs> much interesting stuff going on and seeing more bodies being thrust against each other in violent means. <laughs> okay, maybe you want to reword no, that. No, that's exactly what I was going for. Oh my goodness, no. <laughs> seeing these armies attacking each other violently in ways that are typically not personalized. These are unidentified masses of enemies and that's all we see and it's just that shouldn't be the spectacle of Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be what we come to the story for and so many of the resources in those films went to that that I think it was also a good example of how The Hobbit didn't do as well in its adaptation because Mm -hmm. they tried to take so much of that idea of spectacle and violent spectacle in particular Mm -hmm. and put it into these films that were so much more about heart and interpersonal relationships. Yeah, it's about narrative, not about an epic battle. I mean, sure, there's an epic battle, I guess you could say at the end, but through the majority of it, it's not that. Yeah, exactly. But what is your missed opportunity my missed opportunity has to do with gandalf's mission on middle earth oh okay because he's sent there right he he's not from middle earth he and the rest of his council were sent they were Maiar sent to middle earth to help against sauron and morgoth before him and i would have loved to see a little bit more introspection or just discussion about what that mission entails and what's the best way to to accomplish that Hmm. and whether violence has to be a part of that 
because Gandalf isn't just going around as the best fighter. He is one of the best fighters, for sure, but he's not out there because he can wave a sword and staff around. He's out there trying to spread wisdom and Mm -hmm. things like that, which I appreciate. But so much of his wisdom that he spreads, at least that we see in in the films and the books, is that it's time to fight. And he is trying to gather those who can fight together to do what needs to be done, or what he sees as what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And I guess it would have just been very interesting to see more of, over the centuries that Gandalf has been on Middle-earth, what has and hasn't worked in his mission. Where, Where has he learned things about how to interact with those who are the ones who he's calling to violence, Mm, right? mm -hmm. And what is his authority and what is his responsibility in making those decisions and having those interactions? And I just, yeah, I I don't really see any of that in Gandalf. And that's something that I at least would be really interested in seeing. Yeah, for sure. Especially from someone who is pegged as someone who's supposed to be so wise Mm -hmm. and have so much wisdom, I think showing more intentional thought, I think, would definitely have enriched the story and specifically his character. Yeah. Well, I guess we should go into our takeaways. Yeah, I think throughout all of our discussion, I think kind of my takeaways thinking about how much Lord of the Rings is historically situated. This is in the midst of or right after this huge war and how how much of the rhetoric at the time is this, okay, now it's time to stand up and fight and like do this for men of the West or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And how for people coming back from war and the violence that they've done and has been done to them, how much easier it is to see one side as orcs and one side as the the side of right. And so, yeah, I think that there's so many aspects that we were talking about today that really just feed into that. But then seeing how the book still did a better job at bringing in some nuance mm-hmm. to the violence than the movies, which are, what, less than a couple decades old. And so, I don't know, I guess my takeaway is that the rhetoric around war hasn't really changed that much. Mm. And if we're just looking at the books, the books did it possibly better, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Totally. Yeah. What about mm-hmm. you? What's your takeaway? One takeaway I'm having is about... The way that we define eras. For Tolkien, the War of the Ring ends the Third Age and creates the Fourth Age. Yeah. And how much do we also see things in that type of time frame Mm. where something is defined by violence? Where... Fascinating. America is however long old because that was when we... Won the war. Yeah, exactly. We, Mm -hmm. we, We had a revolution that we were successful at. Yet, when you look at what we call ages, they're often about things that are so much more than just that bloodshed, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. From the stone and iron ages that we have through the 
technology ages or the internet age or what have you. Like, we see how these other kinds of technologies and social and economic systems that are changing are affecting lives in ways that can be so much more prolific or all-encompassing or comprehensive than just, now I'm paying taxes to these guys because they won the last war. And so, yeah, I just, I wonder when you zoom out, depending on your context and the way that you're looking at something, how much violence has to define the way that you look at eras or time Mm. or ages? Well, and is how we define it just perpetuating a complete misconception of what violence does. Hmm. Because if you're like, oh, this is the end of this age, and now we're in this new time period, it doesn't have any of the lasting effects that that violence caused Hmm. and makes it so much easier to say, we go into this war and we fight this war, and when we win this war this will stop Mm -hmm. you know it it makes it so much cleaner of an idea and a more justified idea when the traumas are not lasting in how you're conceptualizing the future yeah yeah absolutely and i mean i think that that's an interesting question for today when we are in wars that are not just we have declared war on this other nation state but instead on ideas like drugs or poverty or terrorism or whatever else it might be which also makes it easier to be violent against anyone Mm -hmm. exactly not that i believe we should be violent against anyone but (laughs) (laughs) are you a pacifist (laughs) yes that has come up a couple times yeah i'm glad you've been listening (laughs) well why don't we discuss what we'll be talking about next week Great. So we're going to be going on to the Hunger Games. Yeah, we are. And we are going to look at it through the theme of friendship. Friendship in the Hunger Games. Aw. Oh, that's great. There's so few things in the Hunger Games where it's just like positive. Yeah, that'll be nice. I mean, I'm sure it'll still be friendship within the darkness of the Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So friendship in the Hunger Games. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines, or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, geek out! out.